What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 56 of the Lynch with Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, is we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today is going to be a fun one. Today, you get to sit down with literally one of the most inspiring people I have ever met in my life. It was a few years ago on a early morning, we were doing a chapel service at a brand new sporting facility here in Northwest Georgia called Lake Point. The owners at that time of Lake Point had a real mission for that uh, facility there, one of the largest sporting facilities in the country. And I was doing a chapel service for them and, and a lot of the, the uh, folks around early on a Sunday morning. And I got to meet a gentleman. His name was Shep Shepherd. Uh, Shep travels. He is a, a visiting chaplain for many college football teams, one of those being West Virginia, where that has the loyalty of my beautiful bride. And he speaks to NFL teams. He speaks all over the country. I had heard of Shep. But didn't know him, and we met that morning, well, that summer at FCA football camp where the local team that I'm a, um, a team pastor for went to camp, Shep was the speaker. When he got done with his first night, I looked at my son and, and said, that may be one of the best speakers for students and athletes that I've ever heard in my life. Thankfully, I got to be with him again the next summer. We have connected offline numerous times. His story is amazing. His passion is unmatched in many ways. I know he travels around, and you'll see him on Twitter, and he'll be talking about waking up the city. Well, I know he wakes up a lot of cities as he shares not only his story, but the redemption part of his story. Unbelievable it is going to be one that you're going to probably listen to two and three times, forward to friends, because there's just so much there. So I want you to pull up a chair, and I want you today to join me in this journey with a good friend of mine and one of my favorite people on the planet, Mr. Shep Shepard. Well, Shep, it is an honor to have you on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is great to have you, buddy. Great to be here, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I remember years ago when I met you for the first time up at Lake Point. You came up one Sunday morning. We got connected up there. But I had the privilege of sitting and hearing you speak for two summers at an FCA football camp. And I know I know a lot of the story others don't know. When you hear the word adversity, what does the word adversity mean to you? Oh, uh, adversity is, um, I believe, I always say adversity reveals who we are. Mm. It, it doesn't make us who we are. It reveals who we are. We hear it all the time that it makes us who we are. But I believe it's, it doesn't put it in. It squeezes it out. And, uh, and our responsibility is once we see, you know, what this adversity has revealed, 
we have a responsibility to, to respond and decide, you know, am I going to run from it or am I going to run towards it and allow this to make me better? So when I think of adversity, I think of uh, that was the vehicle that God chose to use um, to really take me to every special thing that I could put back to in my life. I got there. The Uber, if you will, that picked me up. <laughs> was, was, was adversity. adversity was the Uber. That's a great way to look at it. So you go back to your childhood and I believe you grew up outside Orlando, correct? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, you grew up you grew up outside Orlando. Fill everybody a little bit because adversity really was your driver, especially back when you were growing up. Talk to us a little bit about your growing up years in Orlando. Well, uh, I always uh, tell groups that I speak to that most people who say they're from the hood, they're really from the hospital. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but when I say I'm from the hood, I mean it literally. Uh, my mother gave birth to me alone in a ghetto project apartment bathtub. I was literally born in the hood. The projects mm-hmm. that I grew up in, I was. she gave birth to me alone in a project bathtub and, and then drove herself to the hospital. Uh, so, so I was born into adversity. My father was uh, incarcerated uh, when I was born, so I uh, didn't meet my dad for the first 12 years of my life. Uh, you know, a lot of siblings, uh, 15 brothers and sisters, and, you know, just a lot of poverty, a lot of adversity. Um, all around, you know, that was the experience that I was born into. That's kind of how it started for me. Uh, uh, and, you know, those difficult times continue, you know, as I grew up. <clears throat> did you see adversity, though, as a tool when you were growing up? Or did you see adversity as something that was going to keep you keep you held back in life? Oh, man, uh, I did not have the proper perspective. And uh, we talk about perspective all the time, right? Uh, perspective is not what we see. It's how we view what we see. Mm. And I was on the wrong side of it for many years. You know, I saw it as all the reasons why not, you know, I could look and see clearly the problems and that's all I saw, right. Were the problems. I saw what I didn't have. I saw who wasn't there. Um, I saw, you know, uh, what we, you know, didn't have, you know, uh, when I say poverty, I know some people, uh, think about a tough weekend, but you know, you and I, you say you've heard me share before. So, you know, we, I'm talking about, you know, months at a time with no lights in our home. I mean, you know, we see, I, I see some of these, uh, some of these tragedies in the news the last couple of years, as far as these storms hit these cities, these towns, and my heart just bleeds and we continue to give and try to invest and help out with some of these situations. But some of these cities, you know, they're back up, you know, thank God and, you know, 30, 60 days. Uh, but sometimes I think to myself, that, you know, I wonder if people knew that even without a hurricane hitting, there are people in their schools, in their churches, in their communities, living in those conditions every single wow. day. Mm-hmm. And there's someone within walking distance of the, your local grocery store who hasn't had water, running water in their home for, you know, two, three months. And that's the conditions that I grew up in. You know, that was what our experience was every single day. You know, I remember, I remember vividly Shep, a story you told about tearing the picture out of a magazine of a McDonald's hamburger and chewing up that paper, pretending it was a burger. Was that when, when you think back to that, is it hard to believe that you ever got out of that cycle that you found yourself in? It's, it's extremely difficult to believe. Uh, hope was a foreign word for us. And, and you're right. I do remember that uh, vividly. It was actually a limited time only. They had a Michael Jordan burger. McDonald's wow. was advertising. And uh, I remember uh, 
flipping through magazines in a gas station. I knew there was no way I could ask my mother to take me to McDonald's and buy me that sandwich. And uh, just, you know, ate that paper imagining what that sandwich may taste like. And like you said, at that time, from that perspective, sitting where I was sitting, um, I had no, I felt like there was no hope for me mm. to ever leave that situation. So I felt like the path that I was on was going to lead to some of the same outcomes for the siblings and, you know, the family members I had, people in my community that come before me, which was all death or jail. Hmm. what was the turning point was it middle school years high school years that you had some key key men begin to enter your life and things began to change talk to me a little bit about that uh turning point for me uh without a doubt uh was an encounter with jesus christ Hmm. and uh and i I, and i'm looking back now at the age i am now i look back and i feel like i know god strategically did that uh, because he knew where he wanted to take me. He knew how he wanted to use me. Um, so I believe Jesus intentionally showed up before everybody else. So nobody else gets credit, right? That's awesome. That's <laughs> no, awesome. Nobody, nobody else gets credit before him. He showed up. Um, <clears throat> the turning point for me uh, was uh, I felt so hopeless. I felt so helpless that I was 14 years old in the ninth grade. I'll never forget. Uh, a week after one of my closest friends died in front of my face. And I decided I was going to take my own life. So the turning point for me um, is a moment where I had a a gun in my mouth. There was nothing in the refrigerator but light bulbs and fingerprints. And on my way to take my life that day, I saw a verse and a picture that was painted on the wall. And even your listeners, they can Google this. Not far from... uh, uh, in Orlando, not far from Universal Studios, a very popular road called Hawassi. And if you travel down Hawassi to this day, I don't know who painted the wall. There's a, a painting of a bunch of animated fish all flowing one way. And then there's that one, you know, that Jesus fish that we see on the mm-hmm. back of the cars going the other way. There's a verse above that picture, and there are four words on the side. They changed my life. The verse is Romans 12 and 2. It says, be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove it's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The four words on the side of the photo, I mean, the picture say, uh, go against the flow. Mm. So I got home uh, to this ghetto project department, get ready to take my life. I'm, I've got this gun in my mouth and I can't get this picture out of my mind. And in my 14 year old mind, this picture said, if I change my mind, God could change my life. Whew. Now, I was so distracted by the hypocrites in the church that I never gave the God of the church an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like, my mom was religious. She took us to church all the time. We were dealing, you know, and, and, and I'm speaking, you know, you know the way I am. I'm oh, going to yeah. speak honestly. That's you know, right. I brought up in the church, and, and, I, and I was confused because we're suffering, like, no food at times. You know, I've got all these siblings. I've, you know, we're dealing with all this adversity, and we would go to churches, and some churches would say things like, you know, we'll pray for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, we don't need prayer. We need food. Wow. We need help. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I was, you know, sexually abused by a woman in my mother's church, my Sunday school teacher. She snatched my innocence at 10 years old. So I, I, I kind of had decided around 10 that if this is what Jesus loving the little children feels like, I didn't want that love. But Jesus, you know, 
He yeah. met me at this point. I was messed up. I was in a rough situation, but he met me right where I was. And the best news is he did not leave me the same. So uh, to answer your question, you know, the turning point, it, it begins and it ends with Jesus. But after we encounter Jesus, you know this, he wants us to encounter his people. Right? That's right. And he begins to send people my way. And, uh, and there's a middle school coach. There's a pastor. Uh, the guy, he was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Orlando at the time. His name was Brother Jim Henry. Mm. And these two guys invited me to a, a men's breakfast. And, uh, and that men's breakfast uh, was on a Friday morning. They told me they picked me up early in the morning. And they talked about, uh, you know, the, the breakdown. They said it's a bunch of businessmen, coaches, people from the community get together every Friday morning. There's going to be some free food. He's, you know, quoting scripture, his iron sharp as iron, one man yeah. sharp as another, all this other stuff. And he says, we'll get you to school before school starts. All I heard was one, 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 free food. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, awesome. So, so I went. But uh, meeting those guys was a changing point for me. They, mm. they you know, got to know me, heard my story, uh, let me know a little bit about them. And then they said they want to send me to a camp, uh, which led to the next game changer that I met. They sent me to an FCA camp. I had never been away from the hood before. It was up in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And uh, at this camp, um, I met which would, the guy who would end up being one of my first mentors. And uh, he was a running back at the University of Alabama. He's the reason why I do what I do today with athletes, uh, speaking, interacting, and working with athletes, and pouring into them, talking to them about their influence, because I know the impact that an athlete can have on a life because I had a college athlete radically change my life. Uh, this guy's, uh, he was at the University of Alabama at the time. He was a running back. His name's Sean Alexander. And uh, before he was the NFL's MVP, before he was the first round draft pick, before he was on the front of Madden, he was just a college athlete that sacrificed one week out of his summer to go serve at this camp in North Carolina. So he's from Kentucky. He's playing at Alabama. I'm from Florida. We both meet on a mountain in North Carolina. And the second day of that camp, he said something to me that I had never heard from a man before in my entire life. He's told me he loved me. Mm. And it stopped me in my tracks. It broke me down. You know, I had made a decision for Jesus at 14. Jesus was first. But then that summer, he sent me up to this mountain. And uh, and this guy tells me he loves me, um, touches me in love. He puts his hand on my shoulder. I'm crying in front of him. I got tears falling without permission. And then he said to me that uh, he knows I'm hurting from what my dad didn't do. He didn't want to be my dad. He wasn't trying to be, you know, um, my father figure. He just wanted to be my big bro, my mentor. And uh, he made a commitment to pour into my life for the rest of my life. Mm. And, and it radically transformed everything for me. So that's literally why I face my fear, which is public speaking for a living, is because a college athlete changed my life, man, told me, loved me. And the game literally just changed after that. And after when, you heard, when you heard him say, I love you, and you knew they were more than words. You knew he meant it. In, as much as he could mean it in that moment as a brother in Christ, he said he loved you. What did that do to you? What, what did that do to you, Shep? Uh, if we're speaking honestly, I didn't even care if he meant it. I had never wow. heard it. I don't think if you caught that, I had never heard it before in my entire life. Um, but the fact that he did mean it did make the difference long term. Uh, but for me, it was like, uh, it's like I was, someone broke me out of prison. You know, my heart was so hardened 
you know, my mind, the things in my head, over my head was so dark. I felt like I was worthless. Like I wasn't significant. I felt like hopelessness and helplessness were the cross streets of my home address. Mm. And I'm up on this mountain, this guy, I think it actually helped the situation that he didn't know me, that I wasn't a sports fan. I still hadn't played a down in football. So who he was and where he played had meant nothing to me. He could have been Sean, the janitor. Wow. And it would have radically transform my life. But uh, he told me he loved me, spoke to me, you know, touched me appropriately in love. And then he made a commitment to me. So he followed love with a commitment to pour into my life. And he said that he would, I had never, there's a big word for me. He said, disciple you. And, uh, and it began to change the game for me. And it changed that perspective that we were talking about earlier. Yep. My perspective began to shift. It changed the way I saw, you know, everything around me. When I saw, you know, beforehand, I saw nothing but problems. But now all of a sudden I saw opportunity and I, and I realized that God had a plan and a purpose for my life um, because Sean was the first person to tell me so. You know, what I love about that story is it, I, I think it's so easy to listen and go, well, golly, if I were a great athlete like Sean Alexander and I was at an FCA camp, but man, w- what happened before that was a middle school coach, a pastor, people in your in your area, they began the process long before Sean walked into it. And in the, in the society we live in, in 2018, do you think that young men still need to hear that people love them as much as you needed to hear it years ago? Maybe now more than ever. Wow. Now more than ever. We know bad news goes around the world twice before good news puts his shoes on in the morning. Mm. So we live in a day and age where, you know, love, it, it, it's got to stand up. It's time for it to be heard. And uh, that's what they need now, right? Um, that's but good. I, I believe these millennials, they all could be from Missouri, the show me state, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, so, so that's why I always communicate. Not only did Sean say he loved me, he followed it with a commitment. He followed yeah. it with action, you know? Right after he told me he loved me, he puts his hand on my shoulder. He touches me in love. You know what I mean? So he put his hands on me right after he said something, he did something. And I think that's what we need now more than ever for folks to not only speak up, but to show action to, and I would even say, let's walk louder than we talk. You know, I I was talking to a good buddy of mine. He's a, he's a pastor here in Atlanta and he deals a lot of the, the kids down in the South Cobb area, some single parent situations. And I was saying, all right, what do I need to do to be better as a football chaplain about loving these young men? I didn't grow up that way. That wasn't my life. And I'm a white guy from North Atlanta. What do I need to know? And and this is what he said. It was really interesting. He said, never tie your love for them to what they do on the field. That's he good. said, they have got to know. And what I love about your story, and you tie in exactly what, what he told me, you weren't even a football player at the time. So it wasn't like he was being nice to you so you could come play at Alabama when you got older. It had yeah. nothing to do with the sport, correct? You got it. Nothing at all. That's good. So you went on, you go back home, and you did do well in sports. And life did, your perspective changed and some things in life changed. You went on and had a pretty good high school football career, didn't you? Man, God's got a way, doesn't he? I wasn't interested in football, uh, but a coach came to me and talked to me about a thing called a scholarship that I had never heard of before in my life. And uh, he said someone would pay for me to go to school if I played and, you know, did well enough on the field and in the classroom. Um, 
one of the things about perspective that shifted is I had a value for education, you know, all of a sudden. Uh, and I come from a family now where no one, had, no man had ever graduated high school. And so I set a goal. You know, I wanted to be the first man in the history of my family to graduate high school. Uh, no person, person in my family, male or female, had ever been to college. So my second goal was to be the first person in my family to go to college. I, I knew that would not happen uh, financially. I knew it couldn't happen. The only way that it would happen is this thing this coach told me about, which was a scholarship. So I poured myself into athletics, you know, uh, joined the weightlifting team, joined the track team, uh, anything that would help me in the sport, trying to, you know, uh, work out. And I had teammates all of a sudden and coaches and people that would have me over and feed me, uh, which was exciting. Yep, all of a sudden yep. I was eating more consistently. And, and uh, man, God was just really, really good. Blessed me with some gifts, some abilities that were able to translate to the football field which um, is really cool now I look back because, again, not only had I never played football, I had never even watched football. How about that? So I knew nothing about it, but uh, learned quickly, gave my all to it. And, yeah, God did bless me to have uh, many offers a few years later in a sport I had never watched and uh, and was able to uh, use now football as a vehicle uh, to, to give me opportunity to go get an education. And not only did you get your high school – degree you went on and got a college degree and played in college correct you got it yeah, yeah. i went and uh committed to play for legendary coach howard schnellenberger yep uh we, we started a program down in boca that's where uh lane kiffin is now the head coach at fau and uh went there and uh started for four years uh but like like you said my my greatest accomplishment i always tell people is you know i graduated in four years with two degrees i was uh got a degree in corporate communication a degree in sociology I even got a, a minor in ethnic studies. I figure if they're going to pay for it, I'm going to get all this work. <laughs> That's you know what right. I mean? and, so good, uh, baby. So, so it, was a, it was a beautiful beautiful thing that happened for me and, and something I'm ex- extremely proud of. I always tell uh, teams that I, I communicate with that uh, it's important that you play football, but don't let football play you. Mm, that's you good. Know? Uh, because, you know, there's, there's a lot of things we can do with a football Uh you know, throw it, catch it, you know, hand it off, fumble it. You better not fumble it, but you could fumble it. Uh, the one thing that we, we can't do is stand on it. Yep. And we've got to have something, a foundation of something to stand on. I recommend our faith first. Uh, but then the second thing is I always try to communicate guys and understand the value of education uh, because you beat your body up. You know what I mean? You give up your That's social right. life. You leave your home. You know, you make so many sacrifices. People always say football is a free, you know, a scholarship is a free ride. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, it's not free at all. <laughs> no, but uh, but if but but you put all that work in, I always you know I'm always surprised by guys who put that kind of work in and leave without a degree, you know, and so I always challenge guys to make it a priority to not just excel on the football field but off the field as well and leverage this opportunity to put yourself in position to have the best life ever. Because even for the guys who make it to the league, the NFL, that stands for not for long, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so that's going to be limited. So you graduate with your degree. Did you ever dream when you walked across that platform, you got your, your multiple degrees, which is amazing. You got your degrees. Did you ever dream you'd be doing what you're doing today? Uh, no. And if you would have mentioned it to me, I would have laughed at you. Yeah. <laughs> what did you I, think you'd be doing? You know what? I didn't know. Uh, I told that? you. I, I told you specifically that uh, I wanted to 
I set goals. My goal was yep. to get to college. I mean, graduate high school. I did that. I wanted to go to college. Now, once I got to college, I had to set a new goal um, because my and the original goal was just to get there. And it's yep. like, okay, while I'm here, I, I've got to graduate. I want to finish. So I set that goal. Now, I feel bad. And I'm be honest with you. I always have. Because some guys think about the league. Some guys think about working with pro and college teams. You know, even people have speaking aspirations, right? Travel the world, speak, communicate. And none of these things were ever on my wall. None of, I never had a poster. I, I know some, you know, you hear these stories. There's a school up in Ohio, I'm sure you've heard of it, where every male child that's born, they walk in and there's this local high school team, they put a little football in their crib, you know, <laughs> with hopes that they'll end up playing for that high school team. Yep. These were never my goals. Being honest with you, I'd love to tell you an awesome story about how I always knew it would happen. At 14 years old, after Jesus Christ came into my heart, he sent some awesome men to come in and begin to mentor me. And not just men. I had a 10th grade uh, English teacher, uh, Sandy Brown, who invested in me and uh, her and her husband. They just took me under their wings, loved me up. But uh, the only dream I had, Mike, was I wanted to be, it's going to sound cheesy probably, but I wanted to be used by Jesus. Mm. Like I, I used to hear these sermons, right? And I'm reading these books and devotions and I'm hearing these talks and every now and then these speakers would mention how God uses people. And I didn't know if, I didn't know how, I didn't know when, but I used to pray small prayers, Mike, that God, I, I don't know how you choose, who you use, but if you're taking volunteers, I'd love to get in that line. Well, that's good. That I'd love to good. be used, used, by, used by you, you know, for your glory. If I could you know, take light to a dark place. And I didn't know what that looked like. Um, and they say, be careful what you pray for, right? <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? <laughs> so God had a plan, man. And, and he, he gave me football first. He gave me that as a platform. Coach John Gruden uh, brought me into Tampa with the Buccaneers. And uh, while I was there, uh, a guy named Sid Calloway, who became uh, my next mentor, who was yeah. working for FCA in Atlanta, brought me in to... Uh, to, to speak to a couple high schools. He wanted me to come in and share. And uh, that's what changed the game for me. That's uh, crazy. I was, it was during, right before training camp, we worked out a date. I could come in and speak for a couple teams and fly right back down to Tampa. And while I was doing that, uh, I spoke to the school, shared my story best I could. And well, the first school I shared my story, the next two schools, I planned on doing another talk and Sid got me in the car. He gets credit for this, right? Because this is what God uses now. Yeah. Sid gets in the car. He's a, the second school, I put like a you know three point message together. I thought it was incredible. <laughs> he, he said, he, "He said, Chef, what are you doing?" I said, "I'm, I'm, you know, I'm questioning. What do you mean? What am I doing?" He said, "Share your story, man." I said, uh, "I said, man, come on. Nobody wants to hear that." Or I really felt like everybody went through the stuff that I went through. Yeah. I, I didn't know that it was unique. I didn't know I had a special story. Um, if anything, I was maybe a little embarrassed by my story, and uh, I was. 21, Sid was 51. There are 30 years between us. A white guy in, yep. from south side of Atlanta. He sits in the car. He looks at me, takes his glasses off. I'll never forget it. He looks at me again. He just says, Shep, share your story. And I started sharing my story, Mike. And let me tell you, it's been crazy. I got on a plane, leaving there from speaking for him. And a guy, a businessman was in first class next to me. And I was a big guy back then. Uh, I was probably about 347 pounds. He looks at me and the guy says to me, uh, 
where you coming from, man? I said, well, I just spoke to some high schools, you know, on the south side of Atlanta. He said, man, it's so good you did that because those kids down there are hopeless. Shoo, buddy. And you know that word resonated with me deeply. It affected me bad. I called my agent who was out of Birmingham and uh, that night, and he, he told me to just sleep on it because I called him and told him, I, I wanna, I'm want i going to move to Atlanta. I'm going to invest in these kids. Because, again, football was never my dream. It That's was right. a vehicle. You know, it, was a, it wasn't my life, you know. I loved the sport, loved what it provided for me. But I didn't grow up my whole life dreaming of the NFL or dreaming of being a free agent, going from team to team, trying to make a life. I didn't even dream. I never dreamed of making millions of dollars, which is I've had people tell me that's surprising because of my, you know, life, upbringing, yep. how much we suffer. But, uh, you know, it's just never been my dream. My dream was I wanted to be used by Jesus. I never prayed to be successful, Mike. I prayed I pray to be effective. Mm. And being effective is what led me to have an opportunity to be what people call successful. Uh, so so I, I walked away from the game uh, uh, as far as playing the game and went to start investing in lives, man, making a difference. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, you and Sid cannot be two more opposite people in all the world. And I yeah. thank the world of both of you. But the, the interesting, interesting thing is how God connected your paths for where he wanted to get you to. And uh, man, I'm telling you, and, and and we'll hit this in the intro and outro. But I I love speaking. I get to hear guys all the time. You are the most effective communicator I have ever heard talking to athletes at wow. any level. And wow. and man, you God has used your story. And I know there's a phrase we use at North Star all the time, and the phrase is God never wastes our time, and He never wastes our experiences. And that time that you grew up there in Orlando that seemed like the enemy had won, man, God is redeeming and still using for good. What what would you want kids that used to be like you? The the kids that that now they're man, they're waking up somewhere, they they feel hopeless. What do you want them to know um, that you've learned through these years? Mm, that's a good question. Um Thank you for saying what you just said, first of all. And uh, the truth is, you know this, a lot of people want influence without insight, right? And yep. the truth is, we can't take people to a place we, we don't live. That's good. And what I realized is, uh, well, the first thing I say to people in my similar situation is before we get into any details, before I tell them anything else, I t some people say don't quit, but I feel like those are two negative words, right? Don't and quit. So I have a phrase that I say is stay in the game. Yeah. That just make a decision today. Before we even get into details of what you're going through, what you're faced with, the stuff going on in or around your life, the first thing I always tell them is make a commitment today because it doesn't cost anything to make a commitment that, you know what, no matter what happens tomorrow, that I've decided I'm going to stay in the game. That's good. That I won't give up. I won't give out. I won't give in. We just got to take that off the table first, right? Quit yep. it whatever quitting looks like, we got to take that off the table first. And, and so my first thing is that, you know, and the second thing is don't panic. You know, there's hope. A lot of guys join gangs. A lot of guys make terrible decisions that end up costing them their life or their freedom because they want to take matters into their own hands and they panic and they feel like, you know, I've got to do something. And 
the reason I feel like, and it's funny you posed the question the way you did, because that's how I face my fear from the platform. That's in good. my mind, in my mind, everywhere I am. So no matter, and I've spoken on every continent except Antarctica so far. I, in my mind, every time I step on a platform, no matter who in the audience, who's in the audience, I'm speaking to that 14-year-old kid with mm. a gun in his mouth, ready to blow his brain off its stem and out of the back of his head. And I'm telling him that there is hope. I'm telling him that tough times don't last, tough people do. And some of this stuff is cliche, but it was groundbreaking truth for me. You know what I mean? To yep. know that there was life beyond where I was. I felt like this moment would last forever. I had no idea it was limited, you know? And the second thing is, I, I didn't know that I could play a part in the outcome. You've heard, uh, who is it? Earl Nightingale talks yep. about, we become what we think about. You know what I mean? All I thought about was hopelessness. All I thought about was, you know, how much I was upset at my father who wasn't there. All I thought about is what I didn't have. When I shifted my focus to what I did have, what was present, and what I did have an opportunity to do, I could apply myself in the classroom and then ultimately the football field. And that could possibly put me in a situation that changed my life. The way I word it is we got to stop leaning on a shovel and praying for a ditch. That's good. You know what oh, I mean? That's good. Absolutely, <laughs> man. Absolutely. You know I mean? Like, Absolutely. yeah, pray, yeah, pray, 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 pray big, bold, godly prayers. There are some situations that aren't going to change until God intervenes, but you can work while you wait. There's some refining. There's some things you can do. There's some developing, you know, there's some things, some developing, some refining that you can do. There is something going on in or around your life that you haven't taken personal responsibility for. And the truth is a man isn't defeated until he blames someone else anyway. That's right. So when I stopped playing the blame game, I gave up the victim mentality. I stopped worrying about when my father was going to swoop into my life or when my mother was going to make enough money for us to eat every day. Like those things, were they important? Yes. But I stopped making excuses and made a commitment to make history. And that's what changed my life, man. It's mindset, bro. Uh, who is that? Uh, who wrote the book about mindset? Dweck. Uh, and she has some great principles yep. in there. You know, talking about that growth mindset. Yep. First, that fixed mindset. Like, I acknowledge that you're, and I think that's what happens with these audiences. People, I, ha I have their ear. They hear, okay, he's been through some things. I'm dealing with some things. Okay, let's see what he has to say. I'm not saying anything different than, you know, most of these other communicators out here. It's just that, you know, we start, we start with letting you know, like, I know, I acknowledge you're dealing with something difficult. So here you are, here you are, Shep, one of the most sought after speakers in the country. You traveled all over the world. You're in every NFL locker room. You're in every college locker room. You are with all the people who we watch every Saturday and every Sunday. How do you keep growing as a leader? Because you're not only, you're not only leading, you know, uh, in speaking, but you're leading a group. You are, you are making a difference. How do you continue to grow? Um, the first thing is I always say, I don't study to speak. I study to live. Mm. And it's out of the overflow, the abundance of what God's teaching me, how he's developing me, that I pour into these other men, into these groups, these companies I'm brought in to, to share with uh, beyond my story. Um, and I just made a commitment, right? And you know this as a leader, when we stop growing, we start dying. Mm. And so for me, the game changers in my life, what I've said already, is my faith in Jesus. The second two were the coaches and the mentors in my life. 
And we use those terms interchangeably sometimes, but they're very different, right? Um, the way I always talk about it is a mentor pulls, a coach pushes. That's good. And we've got to have those people in our life, those coaches that just push us, that drive us, that understand what our goals are, understand what we want to be. And your coach doesn't necessarily have to have experience in your arena. Someone can coach you, right? Like, yep. you know, you think about LeBron when he was with the Heat, you know what I mean? Or t- even right now with the Cavs, Tyrone Lue. Like, Tyrone Lue doesn't have to beat LeBron one-on-one to be yep. able to coach him. That's right. But he can still coach him. So those are those people in your life that push you, that drive you, understand what you have, capability of being, what you want to do. So I have coaches in my life that help push me, continue to grow. Now, most of my coaches, um, and I think uh, T.D. Jakes gets credit for this uh, quote, but he says, everyone famous isn't great, and everyone great isn't famous. Mm. And one of, the things I love, <laughs> one of the things that I love are most of my coaches that push me spiritually, push me, you know, as far as authentic manhood goes, push me professionally. They aren't famous. Yep. You know? But we're on the line. We connect every Sunday night, you know, at nine o'clock, no matter where I am in the world, we connect. This has been for the last several years that we link up and they are able to call me to the carpet. We're able to talk. We get transparent, you know, and we begin to, you know, share, exchange ideas. We're able to, you know, encourage and push one another. But then those mentors, right? Now, a mentor needs to have established some sense of success, for lack of a better term, in some area that pulls us forward, right? That paints that compelling picture. And that's one of the things that's very important to me, to not only coach uh, these staffs, these coaches, these athletes, but also be a mentor to them. So that's back to the accountability piece, right? When we talk about we can't take people to a place we don't live. So I want to approach life in such a way that it encourages you and encourages, like you said, that whatever audience I'm in front of, whatever athlete I'm in front of to say, you know what? I want to consider going after God in this way. Mm. I want to consider, you know, slaying the giants in my life. I want to consider stop being a, a boat talker and deciding I want to be a water walker. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that I want to get out of my comfort zone and go after something great. Now, so the things they have to overcome may not be the same things I had to overcome, but they've got to deal with something. And uh, I believe it's Les Brown who says, you got to, sometimes you got to leap and grow wings on the way down. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's a great line. Oh, that's a that's, great line. And that's what I'm trying to encourage people to do. And I believe it's that growth, that development, those relationships start with me understanding who I am and what I'm here to do. Uh, you know that clarity is power. And I tell <laughs> Um, every group I'm in front of, that's one of the questions I ask, you know, whether it's a coach, a CEO, whether it's an athlete, you know, we sit down one-on-one. I want to ask you, can you answer these two questions? Who are you and what are you here to do? That's good. And it's so good. You can answer those two questions. You, I don't care who you are, you know, what's your background, what sports you're playing. It's hard to defeat a man or a woman who knows who they are and what they're here to do. In that same breath, oh man, can I have my way? Yeah. with somebody who doesn't understand who they are and what they're here to do. You know, it's, it's uh, your buddy, Andy Stanley, who says, if it's a mist in the pulpit, it'll be a fog in the pews. Isn't that the truth, you know? man? And, Absolutely. And we know that, that complexity is the enemy of execution. So even back to sports, if a, if a guy doesn't understand the play, he doesn't understand the concept. That's he right. doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing on this play. Come on. They're, they're stuck before they start, you know? Do you, do you think your faith helps 
clarify that because you are a, you're not just a leader. You're just not a speaker, man. You feel like there's more of a divine calling. God put you where he put you with the gifts he gave you for a reason bigger than you. Do you think that helps provide clarity for leaders? I believe it's, it's ultimately the game changer. Yeah. I get brought into different arenas, right? So I do a lot of life skills and character development for companies, also for universities. Uh, but then I'll get brought in by places like same universities, Florida State, uh, Clemson, you know, you know, all these power five programs. And you'll come in and do a, a Christ Center, you know, presentation. So I have a comp- you know, I have organizations set up to, you know, that are focused on both. So yeah. anything life center is Shepherd Spires event. Anything Christ Center is a keep the change event. Um, so I have experience in communicating these topics on leadership from both perspectives. And I'm telling you, Mike, brother, with my whole heart, I'm fully convinced there are no true champions in this world except those that have the champion living in their hearts and those that are choosing to not just lead uh, from the standpoint of positivity and accomplishing goals organizationally or individually, but those that are spiritual leaders who say, okay, not only do I want to, you know, reach a specific goal that we've set. We want to be where God wants us to be. I want to live a life that is worthy of him, that brings him to his feet. And when I, I've, I've told, I tell coaches all the time, if, you know, coach, can I speak honestly? Yeah. You haven't coached your best game yet. Wow. If you're not coaching in a way, can I speak to you athlete? Can I speak to you honestly? Of course, chef, keep it real. You haven't played your best game yet. Unless you have done it for the glory of God unless you're leading and making a decision that, you know what, I don't just want to accomplish win games. I don't just want to, you know, get W's that I, you know what, I want to lead in a way that glorifies God and brings, brings him to his feet. And I believe that was the ultimate game changer for me that it wasn't just about being out front. It wasn't just about, you know, uh, doing good things and being a leader or being in charge. And everybody knows if you got to tell people you're in charge, you, you're, probably, right. you're right. probably not. But it was about when I decided that it's bigger than me. It's so much bigger than me. That's what changed the game. What's the mark you want to you want to leave? Whether you're speaking to a group of business leaders, whether you're speaking to a FCA camp or a the Arizona Cardinals locker room, what's the mark you want to leave? And what do you want people to remember about Shep? What, what's the what's the ripple you want to leave behind? Man, that's a pat question. Uh, what do I want to leave? Um, you know what? I I define success, and this is Chef's own definition, so it may not be accurate with Webster. I define success by I believe success, true success, is honoring the promise you made when you were at rock bottom and everybody's been in their own version of rock bottom, right? Yep, That's right. Whether you were in a homeless shelter, whether you got fired from that job, whether you're in jail, whether you lost a relationship, whatever it was, made a bad financial decision and you're, you know, broke in debt, whatever it was, you know, those promises we make ourselves when yep. we're down. And I believe true success is honoring the promise you made when you were at rock bottom. So for me, I just want people to say that, you know, 
he was used by God to make an impact that he was nothing more than a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm. And for me, you know, if that that's going to mean the world to me, that man, you know what, if people can't talk about Shep without talking about the Lord, if they can't talk about Shep without talking about impact, transformation, love, you know what I mean? Overcoming adversity. I feel like I fulfill what God has placed me here to do. You know what I mean? And that's so, so good. That's that what is so good. Well, dude, you're getting it done, brother. You are flat out getting it done. And I want you to know that it is, uh, man, it, it, number one, it's an honor to talk to you today. It's an honor to call you a friend. But, man, it's it's fun to have a ringside seat watching how God's using you. Thanks for, thanks for being a success because you are I, keeping those promises, buddy. I appreciate you, man. It means a whole lot to me. And thanks for all you're doing. I hope you enjoyed that time with Shep. Good night. His story never gets old. And man, I tell you what, just watching what God is doing with his life as he travels the country now, inspiring athletes not to just be good for a game, but for what the journey that God has them on might entail. And man, I I look back and you, you see how an FCA camp and Sean Alexander coming alongside him changed his life. Boy, how much more him coming alongside athletes now can change theirs. You know, I think the other part of the story that we get is the power of influence, the power of those men that took him to those breakfasts and and took him to those events and how that opened up his heart to the gospel. Unbelievable. Thank you, Shep, for sharing your story. I know we're better for it. Our next episode, we get to sit down with another phenomenal gentleman. Never had the opportunity to meet him in person, but we got to connect online. And his name is Jack Easterby. You may be familiar with Jack and his ministry. Jack uh, was the chaplain for many years of the New England Patriots. And boy, I tell you what, God has used him in so many lives to point them to the truth that is unchanging, but to also give them tools for this journey. You are going to love episode 57 with Jack Easterby. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and leave a review. The way the algorithms work, it does help us move up the chart and helps us find new places and new ears and hopefully find people that faith maybe isn't a part of their journey and they can... uh, They can begin that journey of living out a faith that's bigger than them. Thanks again for joining us today. And until we meet again soon, go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 